telling everyone what to do, right? That's not what leadership is to me. Leadership is some core competencies and some core behaviors that happen. It's building trust with your team. It's the things I've said, being authentic. It's like what we talked about, being reflective, being genuine, being approachable. It's about believing in others and understanding how important the people are and how you can help grow and develop them. Can you imagine being on a team where everybody exhibited those behaviors or had the competencies of, of being a great leader? That's a world I wanna live in because we're all thinking about each other, we're sharing knowledge, we're working together to be greater and we've trust in one another. And so, yeah, I would love to be at a place and live in a world where everybody's a leader. And James, I believe that that can happen. You're listening to Lead Through Values, where America's Chief Culture Officer, James Mayhew, helps you create a high-performance workplace by building strong leaders, enhancing communication, and accelerating productivity. And now, here's your host, James Mayhew. Hey everyone, welcome back to Lead Through Values. You know, there's been a lot that's been evolving with my business over the past year. And honestly, I've been contracted to work with some like incredible employees, incredible companies to help them scale and stay competitive, you know, helping them to be an employer of choice. And that's led me to this new perspective. And I kind of excited to share it with you today. And it's, it's around this, that I align best with organizations who will commit to being high performance workplaces. And I feel that way because high performance workplaces are are cultures that are founded around serving with excellence and from how that, that includes from anywhere from how they develop people, how they identify and prepare leaders from within, how they create a culture of being proactive with accountability instead of just being reactive with accountability. Things like how do they use feedback and make that a normal part of how they work? And most importantly, how they care and see their employees, not just as parts of a machine, but as human beings with magnificent talents. See, high performance workplaces focus on more than just the bottom line. They have their eyes fixed on the future, how they want to get better, how they're great at certain things. Like, you know what you're great at and then ways that we want to get better and improve. They also are, are familiar with their opportunities, uh, either ones that they're creating or the, that might fall in their lap. And yet they're also exploring too, what are the threats that keep them from that? And that's really what I want this podcast to be about, how to create a high performance workplace. And that leads me to today's episode with my guest, Sherry Sperlin. I've had the honor of knowing Sherry for a few years now. She is a student of leadership. In fact, she even has a master's in strategic leadership and is currently working on her doctorate degree. Now she's got an amazingly positive and energetic spirit. Her enthusiasm is simply contagious. When you get in a room with Sherry, you'll feel it. And so uh, I just also learned this recently that she's been recognized as one of the 40 under 40 in the corridor. So man, it is really an honor to have her here. Now, one of the ways that Sherry and I got to know each other was she invited me to speak to her leadership classes several times in the past. You know, it's those little differences where you've got somebody who is a master's uh, or leading in master's program, has a master's in this, and yet they're still bringing in outside perspective. I think that's what really makes her unique and special. So Sherry, welcome to the podcast. 
Uh, tell us a little bit more about what you're doing these days. Hey, James. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on my first podcast as a guest. So this is great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I'm actually, I am with an organization. It's a Midwest Employers Association called MRA, Management Resource Association. And what we do is all things HR and leadership. And when I think about my past and, and all the, the journey, right, the journey that I've been through, I think of how I love to teach. I love leadership, but I also have this HR side of me. And where I'm at now, it really blends both. It blends all of those things. And I'm leading my own team. So I'm overseeing Iowa and Western Illinois, leading my own team, getting us out there. And we're working with organizations on helping them solve people problems, right? The HR stuff. You know, this is, I love it because what you're doing is, is you're getting, you're getting the experience of doing all the leadership stuff too. I mean, not only have you taught it before, but, but you're exercising it. You're and and the, I really think that leaders who teach leadership or, or, or instructors that teach leadership have to have had the experience of leading that that's what makes you great at it. Isn't it? Absolutely. I completely agree. Having that that, uh, experience. And then also knowing what the best practices are and then having conversations around how does it actually work, right? Because yeah. we can read it in the book, but then we can live it in real life. And how does it actually work? And James, that's one of the reasons why I love bringing folks like you that have the experience into the classroom, because you can talk about how it works for you, right? Mm, and yes. so I think it's absolutely a combination of learning, educating, and then really experiencing it yourself. Yeah. Well, uh, people might know this if they follow the podcast for any length of time, but when we bring a guest on, uh, we usually get together a week or two ahead of time. Uh, you and I got together a few weeks ahead of time and just said, hey, I, I would love to have you on the podcast. Not sure what we should talk about. What are some ideas for entry points? And so we had something kind of worked out. And then you emailed me with some enthusiasm in it. And you're like, I've got something exciting. I think we should go into this way. So we got back on, did another quick 20 minute call or so. And I'm really excited. I, I don't know that I want to reveal it. Like, I kind of want you to share it because it was your concept. And and uh, so I'm going to put that back on onto you and say, what's this cool thing that you really were excited that you said, man, we should podcast about this? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, James. Well, I, I do have a tendency to get excited about things. And I've been out in the community working with organizations and having conversations around workforce challenges that everybody's having, right? We have a workforce shortage. We have a pandemic. We have so many things going on. And uh, wearing my HR hat and wearing my leadership hat at the same time is a lot of fun because I can see things through a different light than most people, I think. I, I have both going on because I understand the HR and the leadership perspective. And people have been talking about the employee experience and what that is. And I hope we can dive into that a little bit. But when I'm thinking about the employee experience and what I really wanted to talk to you about today, James, was the leadership experience. And so what I mean by that is how do leaders create a great employee experience for the employees through the things that we do with leadership? And how can we be intentional about that as leaders? How can we sit, wake up in the morning and do some reflection and say, okay, how can we make sure our team has a great experience today, has a great experience tomorrow, and what will that experience look like in the future? And how can our behavior and what we do as leaders impact that? Okay, so this is a cool topic. And yes, I would love to unpack the employee experience, all of these things. Like I know that this is going to be so much fun. And 
I'm kind of worried that we could sit here and go way beyond our, our time that we have allotted today. But so when you talk about um, let's 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 start with employee experience. OK, before. So let's kind of lay some groundwork there. When I think about what the employee experience is, is I know that that has a direct correlation to the customer experience. So in business, our whole point of being in business is to provide a product or a service that somebody else needs. And in exchange for that, there's there's uh, an exchange of money. Right. And so when we have a great customer experience uh, i think a lot of times businesses um who are um let's see how do i say this correctly here uh i, I think that that businesses are very nearsighted that fail to look beyond the customer experience and to see what drives it i think there's a lot of outcome-based people that are looking that create a great customer experience and that's what they focus on and yet they're missing that that what drives that is the employee experience so that to me is is when you make the right hire versus making the wrong hire so when you're bringing people in do they align with the values of your company or are they outside of the values of what your company stands for or your organization because this is going to be true for nonprofits as well so in other words i love the the correlation between if you want a great customer experience that's and you've done it there's probably been dozens if not hundreds if not even thousands of little teeny tiny things that you've done super well at the employee experience level and so that's how i view it like what are your thoughts on that sherry yeah i completely agree if you want to be an organization that says we have a great we provide our customers with the best experiences then you have to provide your employees with the best experience and when Absolutely. I talk about the employee experience, I think of the employee life cycle. So you said bringing them in, hiring them, right? It actually starts the second you have that opening or even sooner, maybe the minute, maybe they were a customer. The minute that they have um, been introduced to your organization, they started an experience. And what does that look like from that second to maybe even when they exit and how was that? And so it's that whole employee life cycle is everything that's in between, right? Where it started in between and where it ends. And you're right on. I completely agree, James. And I talk about that all the time. If you want to have a great customer ex ex customer experience, you start with your employees first. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the ways, like I, I love kind of just even staying here is when does it start? Because I, what I've found is this is when people start to realize that they're growing and they need to bring new people onto the team, um, the, there's a there's a system that they kind of fall back onto, and it's it's one of these little sneaky things that works in that becomes an accidental part of culture. And it's hey, this is how we've always done things. And most business and and leaders, people don't really admit that that happens. You know, we we try to think and and we believe that we don't allow that to happen. But here's one of the ways that it does sneak in. We realize that there's a need. We need to add somebody to a particular team. So we go and we look at how did we write job descriptions in the past? We tweak them a little bit. We rewrite them. My my issue with that, Sherry, and, and I'm just interested to see what your perspective is this, is um, when we write that job description, oftentimes we're not thinking beyond what that particular role is. And I realize that this can be um, get a little bit murky when we're talking about like it could be a different size business. Like if you have a thousand or five thousand employees, you get a lot more specialized in certain roles. In smaller businesses, the ones that I tend to work with, small to medium size, you've got to have some people, or that position has to have a little bit of runway to it. Um, so when you're looking at adding somebody who's got tons of talent, 
Like, where can they take this? And if you don't write a job description and you're not thinking about like, who do you want to add to that? I think you're leaving a lot on the table there. What, what are your insights or thoughts on that? Yeah, James, I, I agree. When I teach some HR courses uh, or even present about HR, and I know that teams are getting ready to hire and we're talking about interviewing and best practices, one of the things that I say is, let's start with this. Go to your team and say, what's missing? We know the position's open. We know that. But what is missing from our team? What are some strengths that we need to add to our mix? How can we really make our team whole when we look at hiring this role? So yeah, the job's important, that that specialty, right, that you had mentioned, the job description, all the pieces, but also as a team, ask yourself, what are we missing? Maybe it's we need someone outgoing on our team, right? Maybe we're introverts, I don't know. Or maybe we need someone that's really strategic and a high-level thinker because a lot of us just like the day-to-day. And having that uh, question in the forefront really helps you fill in some of the gaps that aren't going to be in the job description. Oh man, what a huge, uh, what a huge concept you just illustrated right there. I mean, I think to be able to, to ask those kind of questions of the team, you know, if we're moving too fast or we just have a culture of, well, that's somebody's job to handle. And those questions aren't asked. You start to bring in people that maybe meet the expectations or the baseline qualifications for the job description but missing that we're actually looking for something more and i I can it just takes me right back to a time several years ago where um, uh, i was leading a content um, development team so we were writing and photography and videography and we needed to hire a new person and um, i had a really good discussion with my boss because he just thought well every photographer is like every other photographer. I'm like, no, like this, I come from this, this background, this world, I understand this really well, we have to be really careful, help me write a job description that we are catering to, um, not just somebody that knows how to set a camera, but actually understands what we're trying to do. And if they come from working with people in the portrait world, what we're actually looking for is a product photographer. And, And I'm gonna be honest with you, to put be in a, a photography studio for eight, you know, eight hours straight on a day taking pictures of widgets takes a special different kind of person because a lot of photographers, they're people persons. They're trying to get somebody to smile and interact and engage with the camera. Well, they're gonna be bored out of their mind if we hire them to do this. And so it I that goes back to that. It just that was a moment from my past where it just completely originated that way. So so let me throw it this way. Now, if we're talking about the employee experience and we've just drilled down into like the hiring piece of that how does leadership impact or drive that um that conversation about that hiring what's yeah. the leadership experience a lot a lot of different ways and i think that's it it's not just one thing it's not a magic switch that you turn on and so james i want to tell you a little bit about my leadership journey and then i'll i'll answer your question yeah when i first became obsessed with leadership um, I actually have a story behind that. Do you want to hear it really quick? Is that okay? Yeah, let's love to. All right. So a little bit about me. Back when I was 12, I was kind of rowdy. And so I would get in trouble a lot. And I figured out at a very young age, growing <laughs> up on a farm in Iowa, that I could negotiate my way out of being in trouble. 
And so one time, and usually it was because I said something I shouldn't have said, right? That's usually where it went with me. I'm a little bit outgoing, if you can't tell. One time I was in trouble and I remember going to my dad and saying, look, dad, I have to go to this movie. You know, all of my friends are going. If I don't go, it will be the end of the world, right? Because you're 12 and that's <laughs> the end of the world. And it had snowed. It was a blizzard. And we had a really long driveway. It was about a mile long. And I said, and my dad goes, you're grounded. You're not going anywhere. And I said, if I shovel that driveway, can I go? And he said to me, sure, go for it. So I put on my snow pants. I put on my snow coat. I go outside with a shovel. And I love it when my dad tells a story. But he says about an hour later, I looked out the window. Now, first of all, dad, why did you wait an hour? It was a blizzard, but okay. He looks out the window an hour later and he sees me at the top of the hill with seven of my very best friends and the driveway is shoveled. And he comes out and he goes, what is going on? And I said, well, you didn't say I couldn't have help. And so we got it done. And I said, we're going to the movie. And we went to the movie, right? And later on that night, my dad looks at me and he goes, you know, Sherry, you're a leader. And I said, okay. Didn't really think too much about it. But as my life went on, I really started to think we had relationships. We had a common purpose. We all had a goal to achieve. And so I brought my friends together. Who can get a bunch of 12-year-olds to shovel a driveway in a blizzard? Not very many people, right? But it's it's all those things behind leadership that happen. And that's where I started to become obsessed with the idea of leadership. And right away, I thought, okay, so as a leader, if I want to be a leader, I need to have followers. And as I continue to educate myself and learn about what leadership really is, I now have the mindset, if I want to be a leader, I have to develop other leaders. And that's my purpose. And that's that's what drives me every day, Jane. So to do that, and we talk about the employee experience and you say to me, you know, we're hiring people and we're bringing people on. How does leadership impact that? It impacts that in every way possible, because now if, if my purpose is to bring on people and develop other leaders, and you might say to me, well, not everybody wants to be a leader, Sherry. Okay. But everybody needs a purpose. Everybody needs meaning, meaning, and everybody has a strength. And so when we talk about filling that gap on the team that we need that maybe isn't in the job description, we're talking about finding someone's strengths and leveraging them. So talk about engaging right there. But if we do that as a leader, we need to make sure that that's not just happening the first week or the second week or the third week, but that's happening throughout that employee's life cycle, right? When they're with our company, they're using that strength. They're using that skill set that we brought them on and they're doing the job because that's engaging. And then when, as a leader, if it's my job to develop other leaders, I'm having conversations with employees about what is your purpose? What drives you? Where do you find meaning? And uh, so I run a business and leadership book club. You know this, James. We have a few hundred members. And we were having this conversation just last week in the book club. And it was, is, is there any job in the world that's not important? Someone had asked. And we all kind of took a minute and we sat there and we thought, is there any job in the world that's not important? And we could not think of a single job that wasn't important because they all are, James. Every job is important. And we truly believe that at the end of our conversation. What organizations can do to really make it a great experience is the leaders that can share with the employees, this job is important because you're doing this. This is how you're making an impact and aligning that with someone else's purpose guess what? Now you are starting to develop future leaders. You're giving them tools for success. You're engaging them in ways they want to be engaged. And uh, you're just providing that experience to them every day. Okay. Wow. 
right? This is, this is a great, like, first of all, I love the way your dad just, you know, he might've had a little tension or might've been a little frustrated, like really, you know? And then he said, you're a leader. And what a, I mean, what a powerful statement to hear from somebody who's really important in your life, like to just to call it out and, and being young, it probably didn't set in, but, but now you're talking about it, you know, decades later. Um, and, and I was just thinking back to like, what a Tom Sawyer moment that was for you, right? You know, Hey, it's really fun. Come over here and try it. <laughs> but you, I, I assume that you probably engage people a little bit differently like this. Hey, we can all go and do this. We can have fun and, and all that. But I, I want to come back to something that you said, um, because hopefully our listeners' ears perked up as you said it, because then you explained the evolution, which is a lot of leaders feel like their job is to lead followers. And that is, um, that's sort of a command and control type of style. I think that's, um, you know, that's definitely the case in the military, and there's reasons behind it. But in business, if we're trying to create followers, or if we have a mindset that as a leader, that it's some sort of privilege and an honor, uh, well, maybe honor is okay, but like the privilege part, so you get the perks of the corner office or the parking spot or the pay or all of these things. But if you're, if you're there to create followers, you've missed the most essential, the most critical, the most important part of leadership. So when I think of what you said is, you know, I think all of us that have gone through this evolution, this journey of leadership, there was a piece of us that said, you know, well, they follow me now. Like, that's my job until you have somebody that teaches you and coaches you and mentors you beyond it to go, listen, it isn't about creating followers. Like, let's get rid of that mindset right now. What you need to be is you need to be a servant. You need to lead in such a way that it inspires other people to do this. And when they exceed you or when they have abilities that are beyond you, that's the whole name of the game. Like, let them do their thing, right? Is that how you see it? I completely agree. And I ask myself all the time when I reflect, you know, how can I give more to the team? What can I do? My job should actually be the most uncomfortable job. (laughs) Well, it should be. Yeah. Yeah. As the leader, I should take on the burden and the responsibility and work hard to remove the barriers for my team. And you said it, servant leadership, right? How I'm showing up for them. They're not showing up for me. I'm coming every day for them. And what does that mean? And how, what do I need to do as a leader to make this the best experience I can for them? Right. And so it's reversed. When you talk about customer service and customer experience, they're in a way, they're my customer. What, what can I do? to make their job better, to make their life better. And I've been having a lot of conversations with organizations right now about work-life balance. And I say, no, it's work-life integration. Because if we're showing up as leaders, it's the whole person and it's their whole system and it's their whole family. And how can we show up and make sure that they have everything that they need at work to be successful so when they go home, they can go home and be happy, right? And that's what it's about. So one of the things that's happened over the past couple of years, okay, I have personally seen this, I'm guessing you've seen this too, is that the pace of business uh, is different than it was in 2019 and and earlier. And what I mean by that is um, 
Some businesses have thrived over the past two years because they're in the right place at the right time, or they were positioned and poised, ready to, to be able to adapt really quickly. So they've, th they've thrived. Other businesses have really struggled. They've been limited. You know, some of them have literally not survived the past couple of years, or they've survived, but they're still on life support. Where I'm trying to go with that is to say, uh, when you think about what it takes to lead through those, so the, the pace that, that, that we're going now has, in my opinion, has increased a lot. So it's a scramble to recover what we've lost, to get back to where we were, to try to get out of this. So people are now working remotely. There are less boundaries about when I'm on, when I'm off, because if you're at home, that those lines tend to get really blurry. So Sherry, what I'm what I'm asking is, have you seen also leaders become extra busy or getting caught more in minutia? And if you're stuck in either the minutia and the details and putting fires out, or you're always in a hurried state, you're not doing a good job at developing other leaders, are you? Absolutely. You're com completely right, James. And it's easy to get pulled into that, especially with anything that's going on. You said it. Businesses are struggling. Some are doing great. People are located throughout the country. They're in different places of the world, right? And so it's easy for us to get pulled into that. But it goes back to intentionality. I reflect every night and I have questions that I ask myself. And one, uh, one of the questions I ask myself when I reflect is, okay, was I in the moment? Was I in the moment today? Was I in the moments with the employees? Was I present? Was I there? And then did I take time to look to the future? And I reflect on that because they're both important. And I Hello. believe as a leader, you have to have reflection and, and it's about growth and getting better every day, right? And sometimes I might answer that question and I might say, ooh, Sherry, <laughs> you, were, you were not in the moment. You were putting out fires. You were a little stressed. There was a lot going on. You interrupted somebody three times. Like that's not leadership. That's not who you are. And then there's some days where I answer that question and I say, yeah, I was in the moment. I made it a great experience. And I took some time to plan for the future to really make it a better experience for the employees. So on, on this vein of intentionality and, and being there for um, your employees, being fully present, what are some tips that, that you would share or what are some strategies that you've either learned for yourself or that you're helped others through to help them be more um to be more intentional about asking those questions or just doing a self-evaluation or even seeking feedback from other leaders. Uh, I think that's a really critical thing to do too. So what are some ways that, um, that you've seen that happen? Yeah, James, there's a lot. Uh, right away, I have four mentors. So I have four mentors and each mentor has a different skill set, a different strength, and they have different experiences. They're different industries. They've had their different ages, right? And they each provide me something special and they each provide me feedback and they're honest and open about it. I share experiences with them and they share their experiences with me. Having a coach, having someone that you can talk to about what's going on and having a coach that asks the great questions to really get you thinking because reflection is so important with leadership. Not only self-reflection, like I said, that I do every day, but also having that coach to ask the questions that you wouldn't ask yourself and bring you to new realizations that you wouldn't have if you didn't have that person they were bouncing ideas off of, right? Then get it going back to the team. 
And so I've talked to my team about this. I'm prepping them. So I have some new members on my team and I'm prepping them already. And I'm saying here in a few months, you're going to get an evaluation. And I want you to be honest in it. I'm not going to know who said what, but I need to know how I'm doing as a leader. And a couple of them were like, no, we're going to get evaluated. <laughs> and I was like, no, you're going to evaluate me. Because if I really want to be successful, I need your feedback. Now, I ask for feedback every day, all the time as a leader, because it's important. And I think if you're going to give feedback, you have to teach people how to take feedback. And part of being a leader is being that example, right? And so getting feedback, hearing things you don't like to hear, and then doing what's best with that information and reacting accordingly. So that's good too. But also getting the anonymous feedback is helpful just so in case there's something that you're not hearing or seeing and you can read that and then you can reflect and really help yourself come up with goals and what are the things that you're going to do next or how are you going to reflect on your behavior so it's several things james <laughs> so okay so let's just stay here for a minute um so i like to ask a little bit more probing questions when we're talking about things i, I mean we're emotional creatures all of us are. Some of us are wired to be a little bit more emotionally charged than others. Um, some people can really disengage and, and it can be very, you know, task oriented away from being people oriented. But when you're seeking feedback like that, and when you're when you're telling people that, listen, I want to know the truth. How do you prepare yourself? Like, do you naturally just have that mindset that goes, okay, um, this is what they said, and you can be impartial to it and you can go, okay, I know how I can improve now, or wow, I'm, I had no idea, but you, but you don't feel hurt or even insulted by it. Some people do struggle with that, Sherry, because they're more, um, listen, there could be three, there's three eyes. I'll just share them here uh, with you real quick. It could be an insecurity thing an immaturity thing or an inexperienced thing. But all of those can kind of look back, we can we can take them and we go, hmm, man, that hurt. Uh, I didn't know they felt that way. No, I disagree. I think I'm doing great in this. Like, so there's that that pushback that we can sometimes do. So what's, what's some of your tips and your tricks then for uh, helping to be humble and receive that? I haven't always been this way. <laughs> it's been a journey, right? I, I remember one of the first feedback I ever got that I'll never forget is I had a manager say to me, Sherry, you need to smile more. And knowing it's so now, funny. Hey, I, I just got to say, I had the exact piece of feedback, right? Somebody told me the exact same thing. And I went, really? Okay. So <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I just, I, I was, I was kind of surprised and shocked. You said that. I wonder if you feel like how I felt about it. I was like at first a little bit insulted because you know, that's your face. <laughs> right. And then uh, they were right. I didn't smile a lot. And now I smile all the time. I'm happy. I've always been happy. I just never, it just wasn't something that was in my realm or, or something that I thought about, but now I'm more approachable. And now I'm really, I feel like I'm more myself through that. I think sometimes I thought I had to be serious, especially being a woman in business. I thought I had to fit a certain persona, if you will. And then hearing that, no, it's okay for you to be, there was more to the feedback than just to smile more. After I dug in, it was be yourself, be authentic. Don't hold back because you're in a business meeting and you're trying to be serious, right? I'm not a very serious person all the time. And so there was more to that. But right away, I was kind of like, that's really rude. Like, how could they say that to me? And I it was in my early 20s, so I was much younger and, um, but then as I began to take the feedback and utilize it, I saw an automatic return on my investment. 
So the minute I was smiling, people were smiling back. My day was going better. I felt more comfortable being who I truly was. And it was that experience that's really taught me feedback can be, it can hurt, right? It can, like we're human. We, we want to do good. We want to succeed. We want uh, to, to hear that we're doing well, but you get a lot more out of it if you take that feedback and reflect on it and pull things from it. And sometimes I've gotten feedback in my life, James, where it wasn't, it was a perception. It was their perception of the situation or per, their perception of me. And it wasn't the most accurate feedback, right? Feedback's not always right, I think. And so taking that and going to your mentors and going to your coach or the people in your life and saying, I got this feedback. What do you think? And growing on that and taking the pieces that you can really apply to yourself, that it becomes more of a learning experience and less of a personal attack. And so it's really having that mindset and that growth mindset to where, how can I take this and and improve? I love listening to the Craig Rochelle leadership podcast. And, um, on this topic of feedback, it's been the number one thing that I've been contracted to come and speak to businesses or do a keynote or to come in and do training on over the past 18 months. Like it's been huge. Uh, but Craig says this and and I've I, I, I've stolen it, but I give him credit for it because he says you have to learn how to separate the do from the who. And what he means is don't make it personal. But what an easy thing to remember, like just separate the do from the who. Um, and, and you said something I think is so key, and I'm grateful that you touched on it, which is this. Sometimes the feedback that we get isn't necessarily about us. It's about them. And it's maybe that they're uncomfortable with something or that they're experiencing one of those eyes that I mentioned earlier, which is the immaturity or the inexperience or the insecurity. And, and having that inner circle, that the group of mentors, people that you can go and and like present that to them. Hey, this is what happened. This is some feedback that I got. Help me understand this. Uh, because they're, they're going to be the persons that have your best interest at heart, but they probably care enough about you and have enough objectivity to be truthful and say, listen, this, they're, they're wrong, you know, and, and this is to have that discernment around what to accept and what to like, let fall off is absolutely vital, isn't it? It is. And then when we take the employee experience, this is why I talk to my team about, do you have mentors? Do you have a coach? And when we're having those tough conversations, it's okay for you to go and seek more information and seek more advice, right? Again, teaching them how to take that feedback and use it to their advantage. Yeah. Oh gosh. I love that. Um, the other word that you've said a couple of times now is is approachable, and that's a that is a leadership experience, quality or characteristic attribute. Um, what does that mean to be approachable? And and maybe also wrap into that. If you're not approachable, what what happens as a result? Yeah, yeah, not great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For me, and I think this is a, a this might be a personal answer, James. For me being approachable is being authentic. And so when I figured out that I didn't need to be someone else to get to where I wanted to go, I really just needed to be myself and live that every day. That makes me approachable. I think as leaders, we do, or as people that aspire to do something, you know, we, 
we think we have to be some something different. We have to fit the bill. We have to fit in the box. We have to show up as someone we saw one day be successful. And that's, that's who we're going to be. But right away, that sets the stage for distrust. Mm. Because if you're being someone other than who you truly are, you're setting off a vibe, whether you know it or not. And people are saying, what are you hiding? Or there's moments where your true self comes out and now your behavior is inconsistent. And people are saying, who are you? We don't know what to expect from this person. And when you are, when you have authority, because having an authority and being a leader is different, right? But if you're a person that does have some sort of authority in your job and you come in and your behavior is changing all the time and no one knows what to expect for you, that's an unrest on the team. That's uneasy for them. They need to know that James is going to show up every day and be James and James is going to have hard days, right? And that's, as a team, we can rally around him and James is going to have great days, but he's still always James. And that's how you build trust. And that's how you become approachable. And for leaders that think that they do need to be deceptful or not transparent, or they think they need to be someone else to be successful, they're building a wall between them and their people. And they don't realize it, but brick by brick, they're building a wall up and soon they won't be approachable and people won't know what to expect for them and they won't trust them. And that's why we need to be as transparent as we can be, as authentic as we can be, and, and just show up and be ourselves. So, yeah, I absolutely. I 100% agree with how you def- defined all of that and described all of it. Uh, when when you aren't honest, and I, I think of the word as, you know, disingenuous, like pe- people smell that. They they see it. And, yeah. and again, that's where you come back to being, if you put somebody into a leadership role and you haven't given them the training or they don't have the skills, they don't have the experience, that literally they're just not ready, but hey, you're the right person or the, you're the only person. So, hey, guess what? You own it. You could actually really disrupt your culture in very, very harmful ways, very negative ways um, uh, by, by making a decision that way. When, when we talk about um, you know, being approachable, I think of it this way is like, if, if I'm not an approachable person, just whether or not I'm a leader or just, uh, I, I own a, um, a spot on the org chart, I'm an employee. If I'm not approachable, that means people aren't coming to me. They're not sharing how to's they're not sharing little tips for making it better this way, or they're not willing to come over maybe and even help out if I'm struggling. Because when you're not approachable, you've got the face that shows it. You've got the body language that communicates it. You're basically communicating back off. I don't want you around me. And you may not even be aware that you're doing it. And this is the real danger of not having somebody that's a strong coach slash leader in your life or having a mentor is you're unaware of it. And if you're in a management or leadership role and you're unaware of it, now you've got a real issue because your team needs to tell you stuff they don't want to tell you because they don't know how you're going to react. Or they always, you know, you can be perceived as being, or you can say, hey, my door's always open. But if they perceive something that your door isn't open, either literally or metaphorically, they're not coming to you. And suddenly you don't hear in a timely manner the customer opportunity or the customer challenge or anything like that could happen anywhere in that line of serving and doing business. That to me is like one of the danger points of, of not being approachable. And, and again, I'll come back to companies and situations that are in 
like the state of urgency. Um, let me say it better, hurriedness. And everything feels like it's like got to be done right now and that it's ultra important. Uh, we're constantly putting out the fires. You're not, you're not getting that done. You're not approachable. You're missing out so much. Yeah. So, let me ask you this question as we will do a little transition here. Um, you said something early when we first started about um, maybe somebody would disagree that not everybody should be a leader. Can everybody be a leader, Sherry? Or are there times when, when it's not? What, what's what's been your experience and um, just perspective on that? Yeah. Well, I think first of all, James, it, it depends on how you define leadership, and I think everybody should have a definition of what leadership means to them. And as a leader, I talk about my purpose is to develop other leaders. Well, that's through leadership efficacy. So we all have self-efficacy, which really says our belief of what we can do. Um, do we trust ourselves? How much do we trust ourselves and how far can we go? If I'm a leader developing other leaders, I'm helping grow folks' efficacy. And I'm doing that through providing experiences to them where they can learn and grow, right? Because we grow our confidence, we grow our effort, efficacy through challenging times and coming out the other side of them. Sometimes it's even mistakes, but making it through the mistake. And so your question to me is, can everybody be a leader? Yes. I want to live in a world where everybody is a leader, where everybody has the opportunity to be a leader. And I believe if we take the traits of leadership it's not, it's not what you think it is. It's not what people think it is. It's not, I'm not saying there's somebody on a podium telling everyone what to do, right? That's not what leadership is to me. Leadership is some core competencies and some core behaviors that happen. It's building trust with your team. It's the things I've said, being authentic. It's like what we talked about, being reflective, being genuine, being approachable. It's about believing in others and understanding how important the people are and how you can help grow and develop them. Can you imagine being on a team where everybody exhibited those behaviors or had the competencies of, of being a great leader? That's a world I wanna live in because we're all thinking about each other, we're sharing knowledge, we're working together to be greater and we've trust in one another. And so, yeah, I would love to be at a place and live in a world where everybody's a leader and James, I believe that that can happen. Yeah, I think that's right. And I and I think if if they're if we're leading, let's say we have a, a, a strong team of leaders. I'm gonna go to a sports metaphor real quick because there's been examples in the professional sports world where we put like the greatest players all on the same team. Um sometimes it's worked unbelievably, incredibly well. And I think back to 1992 in the Olympics when the NBA players, it was the dream team. They came in and and they you know, they, they crushed, they demolished the world competition. They were winning by 50, 60, and 70 points in some games. That's an example where they worked well. But here, if you if you pull the scenes back, and I, I'm a, I have a lot of interest in this. I was a huge uh, Chicago Bulls fan, Michael Jordan fan. So in the 90s, what, what was actually happening behind the scenes on that dream team was they had literally some wars in practice. And I mean wars, like I don't, they weren't necessarily throwing fists at each other, but they were close to it because they were figuring out what is my role and who who's the big dog and who's the the big dog that's coming up. Those were the kind of things that were happening. So the dream team did it unbelievably well. But then there was other teams that have tried it and it's failed miserably. And and on paper and everybody looks at it and go, wow, like 
they're not going to lose a game all season and it's a train wreck. And I think that's because leaders haven't embraced that what you're saying, which is it's to develop other leaders and to serve other people. If you have a mindset where leaders are coming in where it's all about them and I'm going to get mine, I'm, you know, in the sports world, it's about getting my points, my rebounds or whatever it is. And they're not gelling. It, I always said it this way. Sometimes on a, on a team, like when there's a ball involved, like a basketball, sometimes there's not enough basketballs on the court to go around to, to please everybody. And so like this can happen in business too. And when, when you don't have that humble, um, hungry, and smart leader. Well, that's what Patrick Lencioni describes in the ideal team player. He's got those three, but humble's always at the top because that does put other people uh, um, first in that case. I, I just love that conversation um, so much. When when you were um, describing, you know, prepping people, I want to ask a question. What what tools do you use to help somebody identify? Um, do you use assessments or what are some of the things that you have in your disposal to help people understand what their talents are? Yeah, James, I do. I, I use assessments, but the, the conversation doesn't ever start with an assessment with me. And I don't believe in a, like a one size fits all approach. I think everybody's very unique. And so it's about getting to know the other person right away, uh, getting to know who they are, you know, what their challenges are, where they want to go, where they want to grow, what ignites them, you know, why, why did they show up? Why are they even here? What, what was their image when they started this organization? You, because that's, you don't know unless you ask these questions, right? And find out. And then based off of that information, uh, there might be an assessment. It depends. So I love strength finders. Mm -hmm. I love disc, right? I love, I love these tools that we have and I do see value in them. And I was actually doing a presentation a couple of weeks ago and one of my past, uh, direct reports was in the presentation. And I, can I share with you really quick what she shared with the group? Yeah. We were talking about uh, just really our purpose and becoming who we truly can be and what that means. And it's usually way beyond what we ever think it is. And having a leader that can help us get to that point matters because we can push ourselves so far, but it's other people that can come in and really say, hey, you can do more. You can encourage. And so she came on and I said, does anyone want to share? And she goes, actually, since Sherry's leading this presentation, I want to talk, talk about my experience. And she said, I was reporting to Sherry and I came in one day and I told her that I was starting to look for another job. And she said, now you don't always share this with your supervisor, but I shared this with Sherry because of who our relationship and who she was. And so Sherry took it very seriously and she sat me down and she said, okay, what are you looking for? <laughs> she said, and she said, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to work at a front desk. I'm going to apply for front desk jobs. And she said this in this classroom. She goes, Sherry looked so plain and said to me, okay, but you are qualified to do and capable to do to lead the team of front desk people. And she said to the group, so Sherry said, can I help you with this? Can I help you find that position that you want? Sometimes in organizations, we bring in people and we feel like we have to keep them. But I think, again, it's back to that whole person. How can we provide them those experience and those opportunities? And it's retention is important and keeping people is important, but she was going to leave. She needed more. And I, as a leader, it was my responsibility to take that and say, okay, 
I know you, I've worked with you, we've developed together. How can we get you to where you, where you want to actually be and not where you think in this moment you want to be. Right. And so she said, Sherry got out of strength finders assessment and I did it. And we talked about my roadblocks and we talked about my strengths. And now she is running a national volunteer team. Uh, and she's leading an organization, leading a charge. And it's not even the title, right? She's living her purpose. And she talked about that. I get to do every day what ignites me, what, you know, engages me. And I see how I'm impacting others on my team. If you think about that story, that I didn't even remember that. <laughs> when she brought it up, I didn't even remember that that had even happened. I'm excited it did, right? And it came back to me when she was bringing up the story. But that's, that's what it's about. It's about asking those hard uh, questions, asking questions that you wouldn't normally ask. Of course, being compliant and HR is important, but really digging into the person and finding out what they need and, and being the, a piece on their journey. I love to be a part of someone else's journey. Oh, that's a, that's a great, like that's a mic drop moment right there. I love it. Um, what a great story because you took it serious. And one of the things that, that you said, I, I just, um, I speak on this a fair amount when I'm coaching individually. Okay. So I've got a client. One of the things that I'll always let them know is if don't just say to somebody, I see so much potential in you and let it hang, like complete the sentence, call out their abilities because like you did with her, you saw so much more than maybe that she saw in herself. Right. And so you give confidence away when you do that. And when you give confidence away, that's like you're setting them up to, to soar. Um, it's a it's a fantastic situation when we see the abilities, the talents, what makes somebody special. And we were very specific about it and calling it out. Um, if you're listening to this and you have kids, please do that with your kids. If you're listening to this and you have people that are reporting to you, experiment doing that and see what happens, because like it's gonna, you're gonna have a great story like Sherry, or you'll have multiple stories. And I'll bet that's, there's probably more that you could share would be my guess in that because of, uh, of just who you are. That's really cool. Thank you. You're welcome. So as we kind of uh, wind down here, Sherry, one thing that you, you do, and, and I don't know if you're looking to grow it or not, I had no idea that you had hundreds of people in your virtual book club, but you have talk a little bit about that and, and just um, what, what have been some of your experiences because of that. Yeah, it's kind of a funny story, James. So I'd say my book club fits the culture of how the founder created it. <laughs> so one day I was sitting on the couch with my husband and I said, I really want to start a book club, but I, I don't know how, and I don't know how people will react. And so I posted it on uh, LinkedIn and I got thousands of responses, too many for me to even handle. So the need is out there for a leadership book club, a business book club, the need is out there. And so then I did a survey to see when people could meet and stuff. And then it broke down to, you know, I think we had like around a hundred of people interested after I figured out a time and what we would read and all those things. And it, it's been happening for just over two years now, and it's been growing and growing. And so we have a LinkedIn group. Anyone can join. There's no cost to it. It's, it's whoever wants to show up and it's easy going. So we probably read about two books a year. It's not this get a whole book in right away. It's we break down the book into sections and we do deep dives into the, you know, whatever we're reading about the concepts that we're having. 
uh, that we draw from the books, from the reading. And we talk about them as a group. And sometimes we have a lot of people that come to the meeting and sometimes it's not as many because we are busy, but that's okay. I think it's a place where people can go when they're ready for it and when they need to have those conversations. So what's the, what's the format? Is it through video then, or how do people log in and, and how are they present? Yeah, right now it's a virtual book club. It started out face-to-face, but through the pandemic, it grew to a virtual book club. So if you want to join, join the group on LinkedIn, and then I give you, I send you the link. And then we meet the third Tuesday of every month over lunch. And we just have great conversations. And James, it feels like we've only had five minutes because we get to talking and an hour goes by so quickly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's it's a lot of fun. And, and clearly, you know your stuff, Sherry. It, it's one of these things where you have the you have the education behind it, but you have the experience behind it too. And when you put those two together, but that that's a really powerful thing. So um, I, I, one of the things that I love about doing a podcast and bringing people together is my audience may or may not know you. I mean, there's some local people that we have in, in common that will know us, but now this is opening up to somebody that, that has not heard who Sherry Sperlin is. And it doesn't take celebrity and fame to have incredible wisdom and incredible knowledge to pass on to people. So um, thank you for doing that. But before we close up, I just would love for you to, to let people know um, how can they get a hold of you uh, and and also just maybe put a little pitch in for what um, your what your customers are, what, who you who do you serve through your current role and um, uh, what opportunities are there? Yeah, if you want to connect with me, I think the best way is to find me on LinkedIn. And I'm on there constantly all the time. And so, yeah, just connect with me. I, I really like making new connections. I'll probably ask if you want to grab coffee or do a virtual introduction because I really get, like to get to know who people are. And I'm intrigued by that. At MRA, the Management uh, Resource Association, we are a Midwest Employers Association. So what that means is we work with organizations in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Iowa, and they become members of us and we provide HR resources to them. So we're HR problem solvers, if you will. We're a big company full of HR people, which I, it's so much fun, it's so great. And we partner with our organizations to help them solve problems. So I'm out meeting with companies that become members. And what I love about my job, James, is no meeting is ever the same. No conversation is ever the same. Just like with people, we're all different. Organizations are different too, and they have different needs. And so I really get to come in and my team gets to come in and we get to find out where are your pain points? How can we help provide you some relief? What can we do? And I, you know, a lot of that has been COVID lately and a lot of it's been the workforce challenges and we do those things, but we also really get to understand who the organization is what their purposes and what their people need. And we provide them solutions and resources and education. It's great because I am a learner and an, and an educator. And so being on the tip of what's going on in HR every day, what are the best practices, what's happening and being able to share that out to our members is exciting and it really fills my bucket. Well, I think we can see the enthusiasm for your job and what you do come off uh, and we can hear it. Uh, that's just awesome. Um, Sherry, I can't thank you enough for for committing to doing this. I can't honestly believe it's your first podcast. I mean, like, hey, you you nailed it. You rocked it pretty good today. So uh, and I, I had high confidence that that would always be the case. So, again, thanks for being on and uh, we'll catch all of you on the next episode of Lead Through Values. Thanks, James.